Okay. <laughs> Folks and Joker, question of the week. So, if you could become a superhero, but you knew the fates of everybody else, would you still become a superhero? Part of me wants to say yes to be the superhero, but at the same time, to know everybody's fate, I don't know if I'd want that knowledge. I don't know if it'd be worth it knowing when everybody's going to perish. And knowing that chances are, depending on how the way of your universe works, you couldn't do anything about it. I would... Because I'm always torn with that concept. Because I I always tell people, I don't like to know the future necessarily. Because there are things called self-fulfilling prophecies. Like you said, like it could literally be a situation of, I know your fate, but me interacting with you to try to stop is literally what creates it. Well, not even just that, but like the concept just the multiverse. Uh, if you affect their timeline, what's it going to do to the rest of it? Or I guess not the multiverse, but just like a timeline like with DC's Legend of Tomorrow. But I mean, ultimately, you'd immediately know, oh my god, that'd be possibly even a worse thing. It's and like, that's what I'm thinking. is like, you don't know what'll end up happening if you change that one person's fate. Or even possibly, like even worse, you start having aneurysms daily and nosebleeds because you change it and just like, all the new information floods into you. Like yeah. In, like in the butterfly effect. Movie. Yep. You know what? I'm cool with it. I, I, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not going to be okay with uh, some of the visions I'm going to get from seeing all your guys' fates because I don't know how I don't know how bad that ending is going to be. So that part's going to upset me. But uh, I think I'd get over it pretty well. I'm sorry for the fact that now you know that about me. I mean, Connery did. Yeah, true. I just spent... I probably... I think you'd know you were getting closer to your demise the more time I started to spend with you, Chris. Yep, that'd be the way we'd, we'd know that we're about to die. It's like, hey, he's acting different. Yeah. Oh, crap. I'm just like, hey, Chris, you want to you wanna come out to Fat Shack? My treat? There'd be a lot of my treats going on. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> just almost like treating each one of you like the bringing the pet home for one last day of cheeseburgers. Yep. Like, like we, it's gonna be okay, little buddy. We go, you enjoy that cheeseburger, <laughs> okay? So, um, uh, welcome to this week's episode of Are You a Fan, presented by Moonbound Productions. And uh, if you like the episode, if you like us, uh, give us a like, follow, share, maybe even subscribe, which I believe is following. Okay, so let's get into it. That brings brings us into this week's character. Doctor Strange, also known as Stephen Strange. Okay, so yeah, let's start out real world. Okay, so Doctor Stephen Strange is a fictional character appearing in American comic books published by Marvel Comics, created by Steve Ditko with Stanley Ditko. There's <laughs> no, just another one that they're they're doing from the get go. Not gonna lie, just like seeing all the work that Dicko has been involved with and that, like I really, man, we gotta start doing episodes on some of these creators one of these days. Eventually, we will get there. So he would first appear in Strange Tales issue number one ten and cover dated July nineteen sixty three. I like how his first appearance is in something called Strange Tales, with that being part of his name. It kind, <laughs> you almost gotta wonder if that was intentional. 
It's a good question. I wish I could go back and find out, right? There's like, like literally they presented the character and just who, whatever leader at Marvel was just like, does he have a name? And they're just like, they stand and Dicko just look at each other and they're like, uh, strange. You mean like the comic? Yes. That you're pitching this for? And they're like, yeah. That's just a happy coincidence. And then, you know, the dude was just like, Nah, I mean, what's to lose? <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, so Strange was created during the Silver Age of comic books to bring a different kind of character and themes to mysticism. Uh, oh, of mysticism. Ooh. <laughs> to the Marvel comics. Which, honestly, this, it's going to get crazier, folks, in that. Because, like, this guy is the pivoting point of this whole concept. It really is. He is definitely the one that changed the way Marvel comics was... Uh... The way they viewed characters and the way they wrote characters. Oh, yeah. Which, honestly, I always love it when we come across characters like this. Oh, heck yeah. Let's get into it. So, into his creation, artist Steve Ditko and writer Stan Lee have described the character as having been originally the, the idea of Ditko, who wrote in 2008, On my own, I brought in Lee a five-page penciled story with a page-slash-panel script of my idea of a new, different kind of character for variety in Marvel Comics. My character would end up being named Doctor Strange because he would appear in Strange Titles. So apparently that's exactly why he was named that. Oh my god. Okay. Uh, Headcanon confirmed. Slightly different, but close enough. I mean, it's close enough that, like, you know, beggars can't be choosers. Okay, so in a 1963 letter to Jerry Bales, Lee would call the character Ditko's idea, saying, Well, we have a new character in the works for Strange Tales, which was just a five-page filler named Doctor Strange. Steve Ditko is going to draw him. It has sort of a black magic theme. The first story is nothing great, but perhaps he can make something of him. It was Steve's idea, and I figured we'd give it a chance. Although, again, we had to rush the first one to... Too much. Originally decided to call him Mr. Strange, but thought the Mr. bit too similar to Mr. Fantastic. That's a good point. Uh, now, however, I remember we had a villain called Dr. Strange just recently in one of our mags. I hope it won't be too confusing. And clearly it wasn't. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a Dr. Strange that was a villain. Neither did I. <laughs> so clearly one of the two outlasted the other. <laughs> yeah. Wonder which one. <laughs> right. Oh, oh. <laughs> Just go back to the title of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now that's kind of, I also, so in our episodes, those of you who have been following us long enough, there's always been contention with Stanley and some of these creations. I do enjoy this because it just shows that like Stanley wasn't just trying to purposely steal other right. creators ideas. He's straight up fully blown at me. He's like, no, this was not my idea i'm just helping my friend get this idea out there i just went along with it and that which is just nice to see which is really nice especially knowing him and ditko have had their issues with each other yep him ditko and uh, kirby Whew. so in the early years being the 60s because that was Ruby. the only decade we did for dr strange because we could do a whole hour-long episode just on his uh history of in world of real world stuff Oh, dang. So, for the 60s, 
Doctor Strange would debut in Strange Tales 110-63 in July of 63, a split book uh, shared with the feature The Human Torch. I'm curious whether that was the original Human Torch or the Fantastic Human Torch at this point. Uh, my guess, since they brought up Mr. Fantastic with his name, probably the Fantastic Four Human Torch. I'm assuming that that's what it is in that. Only, like, it... it this was that weird niche time where, like, they were kind of getting rid of, like, that original human yep. torch. Okay, so Doctor Strange appeared in issues uh, 110 through 111 and 114 before the character's eight-page original story in issue number 115, December 1963. So, well, I had a couple before his origin came out. He definitely was getting sprinkled in there. Yeah. So Lee's take on the character would be inspired by the Shandu the Magician radio program that aired on the mutual broadcasting system in the 1930s. So it makes sense that we'd have some kind of magician program, magician somewhere you, that you, would be an inspiration. You know, I gotta say, I need to go on YouTube and just look up old radio shows and that because, like, they seem wild. Right. They, they seem wild, and I am about it. Definitely. Okay, so he would have Doctor Strange accompany spells with elaborate artifacts such as the Eye of Agamotto and the Wand of Waterdome. Don't know if I pronounced that one right, but we're moving on. As well as mystical-sounding vocabulary such as Hori Hosts of Hagath. Although these often reference the names of established mythological beings, Lee has said he never had any idea what the incantations meant and used them simply because they sounded mystical and mysterious. At least he's honest. Yeah. I mean, and also you just hear that and you're just like, yeah. Uh, yeah, it sounds mystical. Probably doing absolutely nothing, but it, it works. Right. He writes it down and he writes one word down, summons a demon. Just He's just like, oh, that one meant something. Right. <laughs> so Ditko would showcase mystical landscapes and increasingly vivid visuals that helped make the feature a favorite of college students at the time. Comics historic, uh, historian Mike Benton would write, would write, the Doctor Strange stories of the 1960s constructed a cohesive cosmology that would have thrilled any self-respecting Theo uh, Fist. Uh, Theophist. Uh, college students' minds freshly opened by psychedelic experiences and Eastern mysticism would read Ditko and Lee's Doctor Strange stories with with the belief of a recent Hera Krishna convert? convert? Krishna. Krishna. Hera Krishna, I believe. We're going to go with that. Sounds familiar. Uh, meaning was everywhere, and readers analyzed the Doctor Strange stories for their, for their relationship to Egyptian myths Sumerian gods and Jungian archetypes. Huh. I mean, honestly, the character could not have come out at a more perfect time. It almost feels like they did it on purpose. Right? Like, the 60s were wild, man. Like, true. Because we get a little bit more of it in the next section. Groovy. <laughs> okay, so... So in 1971, then-associate editor and former Doctor Strange writer Roy Thomas recalls people who read Doctor Strange thought people at Marvel must be heads, i.e. drug users, because they had had similar experiences 
high on mushrooms, but don't use hallucinogens, nor do I think any artists do. Lies! I just... Anybody who's ever seen a, a Thor or Doctor Strange comic from that era, you're like... Mm. Mm-hmm. At least one of them yep. probably was a user. <laughs> yep. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I've seen those comics. Thor Ragnarok really pulled on heavy on those comics. Oh, yeah. And let me tell you, that was a trip. <laughs> but I, I feel, too, like we were just saying, this, this was a perfect time for Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah. With all the psychedelics that were happening in the 60s, you couldn't have come out in a better time. Oh, completely. Like, that would have been beautiful to read back then. In that, oh on yeah. The, on those. <laughs> so Steve Ditko contributed some of his most surrealistic work to the comic book and gave it a disorienting, hallucinogenic quality. Doctor Strange's adventures take place in a bizarre world, twisting dimensions that resembled Salvador Dali's paintings, which oh. is kind of cool when you think about it that way. Oh, dude, yeah, like, oh my god, those paintings are already pretty cool to begin with, so. right? Throwing that into a comic and just being like, this is the universe. What? (laughs) What? Okay, so inspired by the Pulp Fiction magicians of Stanley's childhood, as well as by contemporary uh, uh, beat culture. Whatever that is. (laughs) Dwight uh, from The Office, maybe? (laughs) Doctor Strange remarkably predicted the youth counterculture's fascination with eastern mysticism and psychedelia never among marvel's more popular or accessible characters dr strange would still find a niche among an audience seeking a challenging alternative to more conventional superhero fare which honestly yes and he definitely would have been one of those that had to have that niche following and he did and honestly that's that's arguably why, to this day, I love the comic book verse in just general, is a niche thing can still thrive. Oh, God, yeah. Unlike a show where if it's a niche following, it's getting canceled. Pretty quickly, too. Yep. Boondock Saints. <laughs> so, as co-piloter and later sole plotter in the Marvel method of scripting, Ditko took Strange into an even more abstract realms. Which is crazy to think there's more abstract. Right? In a 17-issue story arc in Strange Tales, one issues 130 to 146, from March of 1965 to July of 66, Ditko introduced the cosmic character Eternity, who personified the universe and was depicted as a silhouette figure filled with the cosmos. Oh, yeah, Eternity. She's really, she's a really lovely lady. <laughs> so no, no, Inter- Eternity was a. Uh, I honestly, I was just more shocked reading this at how early that character was was brought in because this is a character that does get brought in even more recent issues in the past like ten years where it's like you know bring up the whole multiverse and the creation and just to find out like this is a character that's been around since the sixties like this uh, makes sense someone that big. Kind of like we were talking about uh, like Hugh oh. Strange with Batman yeah. last week. Like it, it makes sense that someone that big of a character would be fairly early. It, I mean, it makes sense, but like, like to go like that's a that's a um, like that's a hail mary pass with a character. Oh yeah, especially not only just like how prevalent the character is, 
but just how godly the character is. Yep. That's a bold move. And it paid out. So, yeah, uh, Golden Age of Comic Books artist-writer Bill Everett succeeded Ditko as artist with issues number 147 and 152, followed by Marie uh, Severin through issue number 160 and Dan, Dan Adkins through issue number 168. The final issue before the Nick Fury fe- featured uh, feature moved to its own title, and Strange Tales was renamed Doctor Strange. Oh, also nice to know that him and Nick Fury might have had some things, adventures together. Well, clearly they did. Yeah. <laughs> Being in a feature together. That's kind of interesting. That is. It, and it's kind of cool to see that he's had quite a few uh, writers and artists. That is all, that is also pretty nice. Um it's amazing how many artists like will get their hands on a character and just watch them change through time. Right. But this early on, that's also very kind of cool. And I think this is only in the 60s. Oh, man. Can you imagine how many more writers and artists he's had over the years? Dude, so many. So, expanded to 20 pages per issue, the Doctor Strange solo series would run 15 issues. From issues 169 to 183, from June of 68 to November of 69. Continuing the number of Strange Tales, Thomas wrote that the run of new stories, joined after the first three issues by the art team of penciler Gene Colan and inker Tom Palmer, through the end. Which, honestly, for such a niche character, not a bad run. Really wasn't. We've definitely seen less... Less with other characters. So he, he was very, very active as a character in that just that first ten years. Yeah. So which for the beginning ten years is amazing. Very impressive, and it's it, honestly good move. It solidified him as like a actual like main stable character. Yep. Even though he was niche, he was still like a prevalent part of the universe. <laughs> okay, so uh, folks, that's it for that we got for real world. As we kind of alluded to in the beginning, we could do a whole hour. Like a whole hour just on the real world if we went past the 60s. Yeah, so. that was literally only 10 years of... Because it, it literally had it in sections of its own. The 70s was another, like, two paragraphs. The 80s was, like, four. So we got a lot of real world history. So we're going to stop there. If you, if you want an addendum or a continuation episode later on to elaborate on his later years, we could do that. Let us know in the comments section. Okay, so in-universe. Dun-dun-dun. Stephen Strange was born to Egan and Beverly Strange. It's Eugene. Son of... (laughs) (laughs) Which made that funny that we just talked about. Stephen Strange was born to... Eugene. Eugene and Beverly Strange... In November 1930, while the couple was vacationing in Philadelphia, in 1932, Stephen's sister Donna was born at the family's Nebraska farm. Nebraska. I find it interesting that they've made him in story born that early. Which, I mean, I guess makes sense since that's kind of around the time he was made. But just thinking about him nowadays... It's we- it's weird nowadays to think about. Because if I remember correctly, when I was looking, doing the research last week for Batman, his was a similar story where his was like in the 
early like 1920s. Which, like, yeah, for these characters, it makes sense because, like, that put Doctor Strange around, like, third, like, close to around 30 years old when yep. he's existing. And same with Batman, but it, it is just weird knowing that technically they're supposed to be around their 30s now. And it's just weird when you think about the difference in variation in timelines that, like, now all these characters are being portrayed in a time that's closer to ours. Yeah. But when you think about their comics and you hear about their starting, like, no, they're old. <laughs> It's insane, actually. Ugh. Right? I don't like it. It's weird. So, knowing that Strange was destined to become the next Sorcerer Supreme, a resentful apprentice sorcerer, Carl Mordor, or Mordo, uh, beset the child with demons from the age of eight through to, through to adulthood, as he was jealous that the kid would be better than him. Nothing better than being jealous of an eight-year-old child. Sounds like a real window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just thought about it. You know, both him and uh, Wayne had their child their childhoods ruined at eight. Huh. Back I, back characters. Huh. <laughs> wow. Um. Huh. <laughs> Didn't do that on purpose, folks. But uh, that's a weird thing that we all now know and have to live with. Just a little bit. All right. So moving on past that weird time reality slip. Ultimately, Strange was rescued by Mordo's master, the Ancient One, mystic protector of Earth Realm, as the thin current, uh, as the then current Sorcerer Supreme. <laughs> so, honestly, because I believe Mordo does stick around. Doctor Strange does meet him and like train. Oh, definitely. But what bothers me about that is like the Ancient One just being like. I'm going to keep you around, despite. I mean, we kind of go into what happened with that and why. Okay, cool. So, a year or two after this torment began, Stephen's brother Victor was born. At age 11, Strange aided and injured Donna, an experience which ultim ultimately fostered an interest in medicine. At age 15, he briefly dated a young woman named Laura Robinson. Okay, so Dr. Strange playing the field from the get-go. Right. It's also kind of interesting to, to see him at such a young age of 11 being like, I want, I want to, you know, do medicine. It is kind of interesting, but almost it's kind of endearing, too, when yep. you see kids like that. Almost reminds me of like the kids who like want to be vet, veterinarians. See, I, I like those ones. Those ones make sense. True, because they want to play with animals. But the one who's just like, I want to be able to remove the top skull of a man. And then I want to poke around inside of it. And it's like, you know what? Um, I, well, we I probably have, send you somewhere else. You know what? Uh, <laughs> I have uh, and second thought. I'm not going to babysit your kid this week. In fact, right. I'd like you to never bring <laughs> this child near me again. <laughs> so. Uh, Strange entered New York College as a pre-med student directly out of high school. Dang. Later, while home on vacation for his 19th birthday, Strange was swimming with Donna when she suffered a cramp. After a frantic search, Stephen found her already drowned. Oh my god, that was dark. Already drowned. <laughs> Holy cow, that's... And, and there's the the start to his dark uh, origins. Yeah. Jeez. That's definitely not a good way to find your sister either. No, that's... uh. No, that's that's morbid. That's real morbid. 
So morbid that the experience would leave him with a sense of personal failure that would erode his medical idealism. Which is kind of sad to think about. That, like, you barely getting started and it's already eroding what you want. Yeah, that... That kind of probably, I feel, explains, like, later on why, like, yeah, he kind of, he's kind of a jerk. Yep. It, it definitely led into it, along with something else. Well, let's get into medical career. So, Stephen earned his medical degree in record time and entered a five-year residency at New York uh, Presbyterian Hospital, where his rapid success made him arrogant. Yep. Yep, I can see that. Oh, God, yeah. You know, you get your record, your degree in record time. Right out of high school, he got into that program, too. That, too. Like, there's just nothing going on that wouldn't feed an ego. Yeah, it's Minus your sister dying. Yeah. But, I mean, like, that's (laughs) out of your control. Like, that that doesn't doesn't really say much. Like, there hasn't been anything directly in his path of, like, knowledge and skill building that stopped him. Which is crazy to think about. And so, yeah, I can't blame his ego. Yeah, no. So, but it's not a good thing to have. Nope. So, Stephen's mother would die near the end of his residency, and work became more and more impersonal for him. Strange's talent remained, however, and because and he became a wealthy and celebrated neurosurgeon before he turned 30. Which is, is very impressive. Yeah, that's like unheard of. Most doctors I worked with were like, most just like actually, were in their 40s before they even got like to that level. Yeah. Like, so dang. Okay, so egotistical and greedy, cold and callous. Heck of a way to start start out here in this one. Uh, Strange's interest in his uh, patients generally began and ended at his bill. The exception was Madeline Revel, an, uh, an injured United Nations translator whom he saved and fell in love with. Following a whirlwind romance and proposal, she left him due to his increasingly materialistic nature. I mean, yeah. You can't blame her when the only thing he cares about his patients is how much he's getting paid. Which I've seen in some iterations of him. Yeah, no, that's a big thing. Like, he had... Yeah, no. He... he he definitely changes from like oh, he yeah. has a he has arguably an amazing character arc. Very much so. So two years after his mother's death, Strange's father would also fall ill, already crippled by grief over his mo- mother's death. Although he would never admit it, Stephen was a- unable to face any more tragedy and refused to visit his father's deathbed. A few days later, an outraged Victor confronted Stephen in his apartment and in- over his apparent lack of grief. Which, as a brother of someone who's never admitted or really shown their grief over their mother's death, I can understand Victor's side on this. I can fully understand it, especially because from what it sounds like, they were good parents, and he did have yeah. at one point a good relationship. So it's just one of those, like, from their per- from his brother's perspective, all he's seen is his big shot brother who now just doesn't care about the family. Like, oh, what, you're too good for us now? Right. What, you think you're better than me? And I feel like that's exactly where that went. Don't even know what accent that was. So following the confrontation, Victor rushed from the apartment and into the path of an oncoming car, which, wow. Uh, Victor died, and a guilt-wrecked Stephen placed Victor's body in cold storage, half hoping that the future breakthroughs could revive him. Oh, wow. Talk about real deniability there. Well, 
it's literally his fault. His brother stormed out of the apartment and no, died. Yeah, no, no. I no. don't blame him. No, I fully get it. But like, <laughs> wow, like that is like, that's almost like that level, like, you know, where it's like a character in a horror movie keeping the wax like sculpture of their mom. Right. <laughs> like, wow, that, that got creepily dark out of nowhere. Yeah. But at the same time, being a guy that is so big into the medicine field, he would have an idea of anything coming that could potentially do that. True. But I, I would love it if just one of the doctors just like talking to the to like one of the nurses like he was hit by a car. It's not like he has a brain tumor that we're freezing <laughs> for. Like he is dead. We have a corpse on cold frozen. Like we can't bring that back. It's like don't tell him that. <laughs> right. Okay, so So into Stevens' car accident in around 1963, Strange would be involved in a debilitating car accident. Doctor Doctor Nicodemus West. Wow, that's uh, a rough name. Yeah, I'd hate to have that. So we're just gonna call him Doctor West, cool. uh, who was a brilliant surgeon in his own right, was an admirer of Doctor Strange, and agreed to do his surgery. Which is good. At least somebody was willing to do it, right? Because, like, from the sounds of it, not probably not a lot of doctors would have really been willing to. Yeah, because I'm sure a lot of people did not like Strange. I believe that fully. Okay, so though he was able to save Strange, the nerves in his hands were severely damaged. Doctor Strange, with his surgical career over and too vain to accept positions as con as a consultant or assistant, soon exhausted his fortune following every rumored treatment no matter how ineffective which it's just one of those it's so sad that the ego is that big because like just him being a consultant he could arguably make just as much money i don't know about that but he's still making buttload yeah i mean he ain't exactly gonna be moving into a one-bedroom condo and he's already got it (laughs) yeah he like he he'd be fine as a consultant assistant. Oh, yeah. I could see him being like that's beneath me, but consultant, come on, Doctor House, right? He could have been the Doctor House. <laughs> but I do like uh, reading through his his origin story in here, just seeing how similar the movie was. That was it's nice. one of the few movies that didn't screw up in origin, which was a pretty actually yeah quite impressive. Like they kept it pretty well similar. Yeah. That's... So, in a matter of months, the once wealthy surgeon became a derelict and res- resorted to performing a number of shady medical procedures to survive and pay his growing bar tabs. <laughs> uh, Strange's guilt over the mistakes of his early life would come to weigh heavy upon him over the years, and his recollections of the time could not always be trusted. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you've got enough grief, and you're gr- gri- grief filled over your loss of your career. I can understand going into uh, growing bar tabs. Yeah, and uh, as far as the memory thing, alcohol is a hell of a drug. Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, let's get into how he started to get into mysticism. So, after hearing rumors of the mystical ancient one, Strange pawned his last possessions for a ticket to the east. Strange found the Ancient One's Tibetan palace, but the aged sorcerer refused to cure him, instead offering to teach him in mysticism. Strange refused, but couldn't leave immediately due to a sudden blizzard. 
sudden blizzard. Because, you know, there's always that plot device to make them stay. You're right? <laughs> and you hear that, and you're just like, you're like, yeah, I'm sure the Ancient One knew nothing about that. Right. Probably the one that caused it. Exactly. <laughs> so while staying for the duration of the storm, Strange witnessed the Ancient One's apprentice, Baron Mordor. Mordo. Yeah. <laughs> trying to do Mordor. <laughs> one does not simply <laughs> betray Mordor. So, Strange witnessed the Ancient One's apprentice, Baron Mordo, secretly attack the teacher with mystically summoned skeletons, which the old man easily dispelled. I That's mean, a great way to really make you start thinking about uh, magic and stuff. Yeah, true. You know, witnessing it. <laughs> which I feel like... I feel like that was a nice touch that they did in the movie when he's just like, no, this is real. And she's like, let me show you how. Bam. Right. Just thumb taps him. <laughs> okay. Strange. Uh, his skepticism eroding. I love how they bring it eroding where he's seeing that. He's like, okay, that was weird, but, but <laughs> right. come on. Uh, so his his uh, skepticism eroding confronted Mordo uh, about the treachery but Mordo responded with restraining spells that kept strange from warning the ancient one or attacking Mordo physically <laughs> which I can't blame him for doing that because that's a, a safe way to keep himself safe oh yeah <laughs> and honestly I yeah yeah Mordo completely reacted predictably there oh, and yeah. I, I just love the strange the strange is like being like I'm gonna go confront this dude who I just saw, saw raise some skeletons, skeletons uh <laughs> I'm man, I am really hoping this is from the incense. Right. <laughs> he's just like, hey buddy, it just wraps around him. He's like, it is not the incense. This is very physically real. Yup. <laughs> so, amazed by these displays of magic, Strange underwent a change of heart, deciding the only way to stop Mordo was to learn magic himself in order to challenge Mordo on his terms. Strange accepted the Ancient One's offer. I mean, at that point. And you, you very, you've been physically involved in the display of magic. So yeah, I'd be changing my, my mind too. It's kind of just one of those, like, like think about like upon death and that any God meeting any God in that afterlife at that point, even if you're an atheist or a non-believer at that point, like, what do you, what do you do? You just kind of accept it. Yeah. You're just like, Oh, my bad. And that's kind of what he just did. Yeah. Like, Oh, you know, magic is real. Okay, cool. So pleased by Strange's acceptance, for unselfish reasons, the Ancient One removed the mystical restraints, explaining that he was well aware of Mordo's treachery, but preferred to keep Mordo close by in order to control and possibly change him. Okay. The control part makes sense, but at a certain point with the changing one, it's like, you gotta, you gotta see a lost cause when it's a lost I cause. I mean, eventually he probably would. Yeah. But it definitely makes sense that, yeah, it's like, it's easier to keep someone who's trying to do damage to you closer that so you can keep an eye on him and and see that one fully makes sense you know the whole right. like, keep your friends close but your enemies closer yep which is basically what that was so the ancient one had known of strange and his potential to serve as a sorcerer supreme prior to even strange's first encounter with him the ancient one planned to make dr strange his successor for a long time just got to be weird to know that you kind of know that's from so far out in advance right I mean, it makes sense, like, it kind of makes sense with, um, I mean, the whole foresight and being able to see the future thing that the Ancient Ones generally have. Yeah. That, uh, okay. Okay. So Strange spent years under the Ancient Ones' tutelage, 
learning to tap the innate mystic powers of himself and the world around him, as well as how to invoke the powers of uh, principalities, powerful beings such as Dormammu, uh, Satanish, and the Vishanti, who reside in their own mystic realms. Dormammu, I've come to bargain. <laughs> so, I don't know if you put this in here in that, but there is a weird thing where in the Marvel Universe, there are actually very few characters that actually possess magical, like, yep. in themselves. Makes sense. Strange is not one of them. So, they have to borrow power. Yep. And Strange is a tax evader. Oh, yeah. He literally, they send a mystical accountant to, want, to, to, to literally go and audit him at one point. That is awesome. Right? So that's a thing that exists that you all know about. So a few years after Strange's arrival, Mordo left the Ancient One's palace to see great power. And the two rivals would clash often in the future. Which, you know, makes sense. He's got to have somebody. Some kind of rival. Which, honestly, I'm pretty excited about the movie. And seeing uh, Mordo uh, make it. Like, I've seen that he's going to be in it. Nice. I'm like, yes, they're bringing him back. (laughs) Okay, so it was during this time that Strange passed a test against death itself. As a reward, Strange was given ageless life and an onk-shaped mark on his forehead that would only appear when his life was in dire jeopardy. So, dang. Like, off the bat. Right, which is one thing that I also learned that uh, that's something that the Ancient One had also done. And had managed to live for nearly 200 years. Oh, so that's... Because of its... uh, It also passing the test against death. Okay. I wonder what that test was like. That's a good question. It's literally just a written... Like a a multiple (laughs) choice test. Oh, that'd be funny. It'd be like the CSAP. Right? (laughs) You just walk in. You're like, I am here to challenge you. Like the Reaper just turns around with a pad and pen and paper. It's just like, here, you have 20 minutes. I'll be timing. Right. No cheating. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. <laughs> okay. So uh, now. So a little bit after he's, you know, gotten some magic time under his belt. Uh, Strange had studied magic under the Ancient One for seven years and returned to the United States in the 70s. Strange would become a mystic consultant, established in his Sanctum, Sanctu- Sanctum Sanctorium, in New York's Greenwich Village, uh, he was attended by Wong, the latest in centuries-old bloodline that had served the Ancient One, and would become both Strange's servant and his friend. It's kind of interesting to know that Wong is literally part of a family, that that's all they do. Right? That's a pretty interesting fact. I've... But it also makes it kind of cool with the Spider-Man No Way Home to know that Wong had surpassed his family and became the Sorcerer Supreme. That was pretty cool. That is kind of a pretty cool thing, which I, I feel like that was, um, in the at least in the movies, that was the writer's way of just being like, okay, we admit this was a pretty racist concept and character. <laughs> right. So here's us saying we are sorry and giving you a win. That's definitely a good way for them to kind of attempt to make up for the past i will say that was the big argument with the casting of the of the ancient one that even the writers were like we kind of felt like we couldn't win this one because either we went with the stereotypical original character or we race changed them and sex changed they're like there was no real winning this I one i feel like the easiest win for them though would have just been to make it just a white white person 
or any other color or honestly any other race but even then i don't know if like that still would have been the eat the smallest win it was yeah. like it's one of those i do agree though because even you watching you try to explain that's like yeah there really was no big win on that yeah, one. yeah no there is no coming out on top which honestly i like who they picked just because of how ethereal she that actress oh, generally yeah. just looks and she, she was the perfect casting. Yeah, it's just one of those, like, as much as everybody hates, it's like, one, they couldn't have won with that character. Yeah, no. Two, like, why not pick somebody who looks like they're an actual, like, ancient god? Right. It's like, yeah, either people are going to get extremely pissed off in this day and age because we picked a racial character that matched the race, yep. which is weird that that's what we get upset over. Well, considering it was literally based on a stereotype, I can see it. But, I mean, it makes sense they're in Tibet, they're in Asia, so it would be an Asian character. Ex- which fully does make sense, I agree in that, but, like, it's a lot of issues, and oh yeah, I don't have the political no- <laughs> or social knowledge to get into it. But, yeah, no, it, that was a rough call on, on them, and I get why they made the call they did. Yep, and I don't blame them. Neither do I. During this time, Strange fought the demonic entities such as the Possessors, Agamon, Agamon. <laughs> Agamon? I have no idea. We'll go with Agamon. Sounds like a Digimon. <laughs> it really, yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, he also fought the House of Shadows, uh, Zota, the Bottle Imp, the Cl- Clog. Strange also fought the otherworldly night, uh, otherworldly nightmare, who fed upon dreaming humanity's terror and became one of Strange's most bitter enemies. And that, ah, Nightmare. Yeah, that character is pretty creepy. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so I remember he had a small bit in Spider-Man. Yep. Uh, the mysterious doctor's reputation would grow, and Strange even became an occasional consultant to local and federal authorities. Which has got to be weird for those cops. Right? <laughs> That you are calling on a magician. <laughs> you like, you imagine they're just thinking he's like a party magician. Right. Then he just opens up a portal and a tentacle just comes, grabs like, the... Oh, maybe not. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I feel like I'd quit the force at that point. I, I would too. I'd just be like, what's the point? That guy just sucked that dude into a vortex. And there's another dude swinging around the city with webs. And that there's a some green guy and that that just wrecks everything and then we have a rich billionaire what are we doing it's gotta suck living in new york in the <laughs> marvel universe right it sounds like it would okay so moving on early superhero career when the debut of the fantastic four herald the dawn of the heroic age Strange initially remained aloof from New York's superhero community, fighting his battles against Nightmare and Baron Mordo in secrecy. At one point, Loki, the Asgardian god of trickery, manipulated Strange into attacking his heroic foster brother, Thor. The treachery was soon exposed, however, Strange turned against Loki. But I like how it's kind of Loki's the one that actually <laughs> pulls him into the, like the limelight of the rest of the heroes in New York. You know, you got say what you will about Marvel or any, any of these movies and that. I love niche details like that because think of kind of think about the uh, Thor Ragnarok movie. Yeah, and how he got Loki. 
than that. It was Doctor Strange literally coming in and being like, okay, so uh, what the F? <laughs> Pretty much. They, they definitely do a great job with their bringing all their characters together. And also just like kind of doing callbacks to the comics where they're like, right. it's not going to be exactly like it, but we are at least alluding to that we have it's, read the material. Yeah, it's, it's one of those like, it's a slight... If you're a fan of the comics, you know the comics, you'll understand it. Yeah. While it's not necessarily exact, it's close enough. Which I appreciate as a comic reader. Oh, yeah. So, Thor would later, in the guise of Dr. Donald Blake, save Strange's life by operating him after another battle with Mordo. Soon after, a clash with the Mordo led Strange to ally with young Spider-Man, who helped Strange rescue several people from a mystic dimension. Dang, Strange really, like... (laughs) He full one and then just started working with uh, Spider-Man. Dang. Right. But also, we, definitely something we may have to look into if we do Thor. But it's interesting to think that he knows how to operate on a person. Ooh, I was actually about to say uh, we should do a Thor episode at some point. And let me tell you, Thor's origin original story. It was interesting. It was weird. And yeah. No. <laughs> another day, another episode. Okay, so the experience would prove so traumatic that Spider-Man asked Strange to remove their memories of the event. Wow, dang. I mean, for you, Spider-Man, that must be real traumatic. Okay, so uh, remove their memories of the event, though this caused them to forget Spider-Man's hero heroism as well. Impressed by the young hero's bravery... Altruism, Strange came to regard him as a friend, and the two have teamed up many times over the years. Yeah, Spider-Man and Strange actually weirdly do team up a lot. I mean, it makes sense. They're in the same city. Yeah, true. But it is interesting to think that Spider-Man No Way Home is not just a random thought process. Yeah, that wasn't It is something that's similar happened in the comics. I was literally, as I'm reading that, I'm like, oh my god. That wasn't just a random plot device. That's actually really cool to think about. Right? I love it. I, I love, like, man. Because I would never have thought that, that was an actual something in the comics. Same here. Like, I had never read, came across that comic. So that that's a shock to me, too. Like, heck yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, so... um. Uh, folks, uh, as far as like origin stories and how he got into the mainstream hero business, uh, this is Dr. Strange's origins. So now let's get into powers and billies. Shim, shim, shalabim. <laughs> yeah. And he's got a lot. <laughs> oh my God. Well, we thought Batman had a lot last week, but, uh, whew, here we go. So powers and abilities, sorcerer. Doctor Strange possesses a vast mastery of mystical arts, infinite longevity, uh, slash fearlessness. More specifically, a fearlessness of death. Well, I mean, you... because of his passing the test against death, he's he's not really afraid of it no more. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's Wolver. I feel like if he told Wolverine that Wolverine or Deadpool that, they'd be like, "Yeah, same, bro." Like, right? It's like it's nothing special. Yeah, you're not special. <laughs> So, energy blasts, Uh, mystic bolts, astral projection, banishment, conjuring objects. I don't know if I'll do one for everyone, but I think I'm going to try. Telepathy, telekinesis, 
Yes, I missed one. Transmutation. Flight. Protective shields. Hypnotism. Illusion. Time and elemental manipulation. Dimensional travel. Universal awareness. Okay, and that. <laughs> I'm impressed. I got something for each one of those. Some of them bordered on each other, but I think I I think I nailed it. But it's definitely crazy to think with that last one being aware of everything in the universe. I mean, basically, he's an advanced version of uh, of the question at that point. Yeah, like, but you have to have so much mental capacity to be able to handle that. That is uh, that is crazy. That explains his childhood, though, and how he became so brilliant as a doctor. True, he had clearly he had the brain capacity to do it. Because yeah. Anybody else, that could have easily... That ability could just kill. That would, like, shatter minds. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's get into skills. He's an expert, occultist, and magical uh, knowledge, which, you know, makes sense given his studies. Right. Uh, expert strategist, expert martial artist. That is a fairly interesting one that you just... You kind of don't think because he's more of a yeah mystic, like, user. Exactly. But also, at the same time, when you think, like, if... Watching the movies, you can kind of see it in the movements as in the fight scenes. True. As you uh, can see some of it kind of coming out with his ring and stuff. And well, because a whips. lot of and a lot of it, like I'll say, as somebody who did Tai Chi, I recognize some of the movements yeah. that he uses. And, okay, let's get into equipment. Uh, most commonly wears the Cloak of Levitation, the Eye of Agamotto, and the Orb of Agamotto. Also possesses and uses a large assortment of other magical artifacts. Yeah, we his ain't going to equipment. I'm pretty sure rivaled Batman. We ain't getting into that. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, so uh, that's it for skills, powers, and abilities and equipment. What? what? And now we get into not quite as bad as the last character. His other media, which was about a page and a half, so not a whole lot better. Because he's been around for a long time, too, so he's been in a lot. True. <laughs> so, in TV, he appears in Spider-Man and his amazing friends, Ultimate Spider-Man, Hulk and Agents of Smash, Avengers Assemble, uh, Marvel Disc Wars The Avengers, the animated spe uh, special Lego movie Star Marvel Super Heroes, Black Panther, Treble, and Wakanda, and the X-Men animated series. Actually, you did miss one on that one. Uh, the 1990s Spider-Man show cartoon they didn't have it in there yep i did i just know he is in there okay <laughs> so film uh he actually first appeared in 1978 live action television film dr strange portrayed by peter hooten it's a hooten good time <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. honestly that's kind of cool i didn't know he had a live action i didn't know he had anything before the mcu to be honest I knew the cartoons, but I didn't know about the live-action show. That kind of blows yeah. my mind. Yeah. So in 1992 film, Dr. Mordred began development as a Doctor Strange adaptation, but the studio's license expired before uh, production began. Aww. He appears in the directed TVD animated Doctor Strange, The Sorcerer Supreme, voiced by Bryce Johnson. That was actually a pretty good one. 
Nice. Uh, has a non-speaking cameo in the 2010 animated film Planet Hulk. Oh, yeah. The Illuminati. <laughs> and then in 2016, the animated film Hulk, Where Monsters Dwell. Ooh, I don't know if I've seen that one. And then we all know his MCU portrayals by Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> yeah, you we know, do. The actor who you could pr- mispronounce his name so many ways, and you still know who's, who you're talking about. <laughs> we do apologize, uh, Cumber Cumberbatch, if you're listening to this. <laughs> I doubt you would be, but... Uh... So, into video games. He's, he's had a decent chunk. Uh, he appears in the Amazing Spider-Man vs. the Kingpin, Marvel Ultimate Alliance... Uh, he also appears in one ending in Marvel Capcom versus uh, Marvel versus Capcom Three: Fate of Two Worlds. He later appears as a playable character in the updated version of our Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom Three. Uh, he's in the 2012 fighting game Marvel Avengers: Battle for Earth, Marvel Heroes, Lego Marvel Super Heroes, Lego Marvel Avengers, Marvel Future Fight, and Marvel versus Capcom Infinite. Dang! And there was still quite a bit of others that he that, didn't he showed up that's in. a solid gaming history considering which is weird because as big of his character he is when you get to other stuff he's really not that big yeah so it's no. weird that he's appeared in so many uh, video games it kind of is so he does have a small section for novels which we've only oh. had a couple of them so far so in 79, uh, 1979 Pocket Books published Doctor Strange Master of the Mystic Arts Nightmare by William Rostler, a 1968 book, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, Tom Wolfe writes about Ken Kessie and the Mary Prankster's interest in comics and specifically refers to Doctor Strange. That's a weird one. That was a mouthful. That was. Uh, in 2006, novel Spider-Man The Darkest Hours by author Jim Butcher. That was not so bad. <laughs> it is amazing how much him and spider-man have things together oh yeah like they're very uh, big together because like there are a bunch of other like i would have thought he'd have more interactions with iron fist them both being in new york and both being of mystic persuasions nope the science spider kid who made web fluid that's my boy right <laughs> i like that i like they sticks to walls <laughs> so he has Oh my god. The largest, I think, uh, of all our characters so far for a music section. Oh my god, yeah. Because oh he inspired god. the name of the psychedelic band Dr. Strangely Strange. Uh, he is referenced in the 1971 song Mambo Song uh, by glam rock band T-Rex. He is referenced in the song Sibyline Cymbaline? Uh, by Pink Floyd, which that blew my mind. It, such a big band has a song that references him but just knowing pink floyd it like yeah it's shocking but it's like it's like if they were gonna pick a character to do oh yeah that's their character. definitely uh and he also appears on the cover of pink floyd's second studio album ace saucer full of secrets yeah yeah if, so if, again it, it sticks with pink floyd but it's just weird knowing that a much larger band like them is also referencing comic characters. I just love that niche, like that we've as we've proceeded this whole podcast, just finding out different people who just from certain genres of life that are still. You're just like, 
holy cow, there are more nerds in more genres of this world than I thought. Right. It is definitely crazy to think about. And it's nice. So, is that it for the media? Yep, that is everything. Okay, so uh, honestly, um, Joker, you a fan? I definitely say yes. He is. Uh, he's a fun character to think about, and it's nice to see him grow from being that arrogant ego to being the sorcerer supreme that he is. That was really nice to find out. Like, and even later years, it is revealed he never had his hands fixed, simply to maintain his humility. Which is a good way to do it. Yeah. Because you know if, if he could do surgery again, he would have gone right back to where he was. Oh, yeah. So, you know what? I'm a fan, too. For anyone that's still listening, if you got something out of this, enjoyed the episode, or even liked the character before from a movie, a comic, cartoon, hell, even that t-shirt that you saw one time, you're a fan, too. If you want to jump on this train, why not subscribe and share with a friend? Dick Rail out. Y'all keep riding them rails.